Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Jesus, the King Who Came to Die, a study of the Gospel of Mark. This dynamic, fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son, the King, who came to suffer and die to save His people. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Amen. We're going to be looking today at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. For those who are a little uh, newer around here, we are going through the Gospel of Mark. And don't feel bad if you've missed it, because we're going to take a couple of years. You've got a long time to catch up. Uh, but we're just starting Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at Mark 4 for a number of weeks here, as we're going to be going through the parables of Jesus and today we're just going to kind of do an introductory teaching looking at the parables as a whole. So I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. It'll be up here on the screen, and it's also in your booklet, but I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Mark 4, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. And Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Hear the word of God. Uh, one of the things, uh, Linda and I were actually chatting last night about the books that we were reading. We, we both are uh, enjoy reading a number of books, and but we do laugh sometimes at kind of the different books that we're reading because I tend to read a lot of philosophy and kind of old classic books. Uh, but I also love reading fiction because different kinds of literature accomplish, uh, they, they can have the same purpose, but they kind of come at it from a different direction. And fiction has an ability to sometimes get us to lower our guard because we're not aware that we may be reading and trying to understand philosophy. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, who I'm actually reading a book right now about his vision of reality, and in the book, they're pointing out that very often Lewis would write kind of a philosophical book, but then he would have a fiction book that would teach the same thing, kind of from a different perspective. Because the fiction can sometimes make a step back and say, oh, I never thought about it that way before. 
<clears throat> and this is exactly what Jesus does in his use of parables. We're going to see beginning today that parables were one of Jesus' main forms of teaching. And what we want to consider today before we even start digging into individual parables is, why did he teach this way? What was he trying to accomplish? What's important? And how do we properly read and interpret and receive what he is teaching in parables? So let's dive in. We begin by the fact that Jesus is again in Mark being presented as Jesus the teacher. Now he is again back outside the city near the lake. So we've seen in the gospel, he's kind of in the city and then he's out of the city. Every time the crowds start getting too big, he's outside the city. And so he's back outside the city of Capernaum and he's near a lake and he's beginning to teach by the lake. And once again, as we've seen over and over again, when Jesus goes out there, a massive crowd follows him. In fact, the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. And the crowd is so large that this is the second time that he's having to do it, he has to get in a boat. Before, in chapter uh, 3, verse 9, he had told the disciples, have a boat ready. We never were told that he actually got in it. This time we're told that he actually had to get in a boat and go out onto the lake to try and sit and preach. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting is scholars today believe they know exactly where this happened. It's what is known as uh, the Bay of Parables or the Cove of the Sower. And I'm going to put a picture up right now, and you can look at it. So this is where they believe this particular place happened. It's right outside Capernaum. And to give you a little bit of a viewpoint, this is what it would have looked like to Jesus. But that area there, uh, they believe that up to ten to 15,000 people could fit in that area that you're looking it's rather large, but what's interesting is it's a natural amphitheater, and so sitting on the lake, you can talk, and the sound reverberates up so that Jesus could preach, not using a voice much louder than me, but could be heard. Uh, there's actually a, a website you can go to called BiblePlaces.com, and it's in my notes. If you go there, they actually had one person sit at the top of the hill and another person sit down near the the water and preach the parable of the sower with no amplification and you can hear it. You can hear all the birds chirping, but you can hear the sound because it spreads out so much. So if you picture here, Jesus is here and he is teaching and there are massive crowds spread out in front of him and he begins to teach them. Now what's interesting that Mark tells us, if you notice again in verse 2, um, is he's telling us that Jesus teaches them many things. Now, Mark has mentioned many times that Jesus is a teacher, but this is going to be the first time that he ever gives us a real sample of much of Jesus' teaching. It's interesting that in Mark's gospel, uh, the, the Greek word didasko, it's not important. You remember, it's usually translated to teach in our English translations. It's used 35 times in Mark's gospel almost always about Jesus. Um, there's another verb that's known as keruso, which is usually translated to preach. That's used 15 times in Mark's gospel, mainly again about Jesus. It's so much so that Jesus is actually multiple times in the gospel referred to as the teacher. Uh, in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, and chapter 5, verse 35, for example, he's, he's called that. But 
We've been hearing about him teaching, but we've only had little snippets of his teaching. But there are two large blocks of teaching in Mark's gospel. The first one is here in Mark chapter 4. The entire chapter is Jesus' teaching. And then we're going to come back to it in Mark 13 because Mark kind of has the Galilee ministry and then he has Jesus in Jerusalem at the very end of his life. And so things are usually paralleled. We've seen that before and it's going to happen again. So he's going to give us a block of Jesus' teaching here in Galilee and then later he's going to give us Jesus' teaching uh, up uh, regarding actually the destruction of the temple uh, in AD 70. That'll be in Mark chapter 13. And so he's here giving us a sample of the many things he's taught and in the coming weeks we're going to kind of unpack those particular uh, teachings that he does. But today again I want us to think for a minute. Notice here in verse 2 we're told not only that Jesus taught but he taught many things how? By parables. Very specifically, we're told it's by parables. And in fact, we're going to see all of Mark chapter 4 is all parables. Everything that is in this chapter is a parable that was done from this period. Now, what's interesting is other people had taught in parables before. Uh, Jesus was not the only person who had done this. In fact, we heard in Psalm 78 this morning, I originally had this in the teaching, but I cut it out just for time's sake, and then Bobby brought it up. So thank you very much, brother. I appreciate that. But in Psalm 78, the psalmist actually says, I will open my mouth in parables and teach things. And in the New Testament, that's applied to Jesus's use of the parables. And so uh, it had been done before, but they are especially associated with Jesus. When you say parable, people that don't even know a ton about the Bible think of Jesus. Uh, they're done with him. And that's because Jesus was the master of teaching in parabolic form. Uh, some scholars have counted up to 60 parables in the Gospels. They debate back and forth, is this exact thing a parable or not? But it's somewhere between 40 and 60 distinct parables in the Gospels. So if you want to understand the teaching of Jesus, you have to understand parables. Now, he didn't always teach in parables. The Sermon on the Mount has a lot of other kinds of teachings. But when you consider the entire body of Jesus' teaching, you have to understand parables. So how do we do that? There's a, a number of points I want to bring out, and then we'll be able to kind of put these in practice in the coming weeks. Well, the first thing is, what do we mean by the term parable? What is a parable? A parable is a story or a saying that compares two things. The word parable we just took right out of Greek, and it's formed from two words, and the two words are para and balo. Balo means to throw something or to cast it down, and para means beside. So literally the word means to throw something beside. And it's, I'm going to take something that you know and that you understand and that you're familiar with, and I'm going to throw something else down beside it so you can look at the two side by side. That's the basic idea behind a parable, that there's going to be something you know, I'm going to throw something else down, and so you can kind of think through, you can understand one thing by something that you already have reference to. And in the Old Testament, this word was actually used very commonly in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, uh, the, the Hebrew word mashal is for Proverbs, and that meant a parable. So Proverbs are actually a type of parable. And if you think about many of the ancient Hebrew Proverbs, they kind of compare things. They lay things side by side to help you understand something. And so 
Jesus very often in his teaching is usually going to refer to a familiar part of creation to help us understand a spiritual reality. He's going to give a short saying or a little story that's going to say, hey, here's something you understand, like we heard today about the sower. This is something that everybody understood, but he's going to use it to say, I'm explaining the kingdom to you. And this is important for us to understand. It's a, yet another reminder. I'm not going to take much time. I'll unpack this actually in after hours this week. But it's a reminder of the close link between God's work in creation and redemption. Don't, don't miss this. The fact that Jesus can say, here's what heaven is like and tell us about things we're used to seeing in creation is only true because creation and redemption are closely linked. There is a close link between the material world and the spiritual world, between the body and the soul. Very often we have wanted to separate these things. Most people in the time of Jesus wanted to separate them. The, the current thought among many Greeks was, you know, the spiritual was high and good, the material was low and bad, okay? There was a creator, and if there was going to be redemption, redemption was usually getting out of the created order. By Jesus' teaching form here, he's letting us know it's just another reminder, nope, that's not true. Your creator is your redeemer. There is a link between your body and your soul. What God is working in the material realm, he's also working in the spiritual realm. Just an important reminder because the parables remind us of this. The, The only reason they work is because that link is there. If they were not there, the parables wouldn't work. And I'll talk about that more in after hours. So that's the first thing. Secondly, parables are not allegories. Okay? Sometimes in the history of the church, we've fallen into trouble and we think every little detail in a parable has to mean something. No, it doesn't. It's telling a story. Certain things will mean things, but not everything. So for example, St. Augustine, and I really like Augustine, he's a brilliant scholar, but he got pretty fanciful with the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. Everything meant something in the parable, and by the time he was done, what the parable was not teaching you was, who is my neighbor? Which is what Jesus said the parable was about, because he had all these allegories going off. That's not a good practice. Usually a parable is about one or two things. That there's, there's, there's a central point. There might be a couple of points. We'll see next week with the parable of the sower, But we need to let the main thing be the main thing and don't go running off trying to find all these little details. We find that interesting, but it's not how parables worked. Number three, the main subject of parables is the kingdom of God. That is what the parables are about over and over again. Now we can see this in our text today in Mark 4.11 when, when they've asked Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? He says, because the secret of the kingdom of God's been given to you. Those on the outside, we're going to come back to this, they don't understand it. In uh, two of the parables coming up in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says this in Mark four twenty six, and then again in verse 30. Uh, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. So he's already told me, what, what's that parable going to tell me about? The kingdom of God. I don't have to Reference around, see, it's so nice when Jesus does that for us. This is what you're looking for. Notice in verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? 
I'm going to give you something you recognize. I'm going to throw the kingdom down next to it and say, do you see how they're the same? And it's not just in Mark 4, 26 and 30. Jesus often introduced parables this way. Matthew 13, 44, Matthew 13, 45, Matthew 13, 47, Luke 13, 20. He regularly said, what's the kingdom like? Let me tell you what the kingdom's like, and I'll tell you a parable. But even other parables where he doesn't directly say that are usually centered on something about the kingdom of God. Um, and remember, this should not be surprising because Mark, while he has not given us a lot of the content of Jesus' teaching, all the way back at the beginning of the gospel in Mark 1, 14 and 15, when we're first introduced to Jesus coming on the scene, he summarized Jesus' preaching this way. After John's put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So notice when Jesus is preaching, he's preaching what? The kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. So Mark's already summarized Jesus' teaching as being about the gospel of the kingdom. So it shouldn't surprise us that if the main way he teaches is parables, what will the parables be about? The kingdom, that's what they really are about, and we need to do this. So when we read parables, our first instinct should be to expect that they'll teach us something about the kingdom of God. Now, there are some exceptions. You know, Jesus, in one case, we're told by Luke, Jesus wanted to teach us to always pray and never give up. And so he says, let me tell you a parable about an unjust judge. Okay, and we know in that case, it's really, it's still in a sense about the kingdom because it's about us and how we live in the kingdom that we ought to always pray and never give up. But unless it's telling us something directly otherwise, the parable of the Good Samaritans, who is my neighbor, again, as a subject of the kingdom, how do I learn to approach my neighbor? My neighbor's the person who's in need. But other than that, our first instinct should always be, what is this teaching me about the kingdom of God? And in particular, what is it teaching me that is unexpected or surprising about God's kingdom? Because notice what Jesus told the disciples when they asked, why the parables? Because the secret of the kingdom of God is given to you, okay? Now, this idea of the secret, uh, some translations even have the word mystery because the Greek word is mysterion, from which we get the word mystery. It's the mystery of the kingdom, but that doesn't mean that it, you can't understand it. It means something that is unexpected, something that is surprising, something that had been overlooked. And so there was a certain conception of the kingdom of God. We, we've seen over and over so far in the Gospel of Mark, the problem Jesus is dealing with is the people had an understanding of who Messiah was going to be, so much so that Jesus hardly refers to himself as the Messiah. What does he usually call himself? Son of man, because that was not a term they had attached a bunch of baggage to. So he's saying, you've, you've messed up Messiah so much, I'm going to use a different term. Well, here's another problem. They had baggage regarding the kingdom of God. They had a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, I'm going to be telling you parables to help highlight things that you've not understood, things that you've thought wrongly regarding. So there are these, uh, Jesus is using everyday things to throw down the subject of the kingdom of God. It's not an allegory. It's usually specifically about the kingdom. 
uh, and is kind of revealing something that was unexpected. And for that reason, the fourth point is parables require close listening and thought. The reason Jesus wants to use these is you can't skim a parable. You got to think about it. Now, how do we know this? We, in our text today, notice he begins the parable this way. The first word, listen. Okay, and then notice he ends it with, then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the word hear and the word listen are the same word in Greek, okay? We, we have two different English words, but they're the exact same word in Greek. And what's interesting is, so notice he begins and ends with a command, hear, listen. That word, some form of that Greek word occurs 13 times in Mark 4. 13 times. I, I remind you, you, can, you don't have to go off and get a PhD in theology. If you go through one chapter and the same word used 13 times, what's that telling you to do? Pay attention. This is really important. 13 times, hear, listen, hear. Are you listening to me? Are you paying attention to what I'm saying? 13 times it happens. Now, this is the same word if we understand our Old Testament. Can anybody think of a time that God's people were told to hear? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. That's called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear, listen up, pay attention. And if you were a devout Jew, how often did you repeat that? Every day. Hear, Israel, hear my people. Jesus is uh, is repeating this, and he's telling us this is the foundation of being my follower. You got to listen to my word. You got to hear my word. And so Jesus teaches in parables because they require, put that in caps, highlighted, bolded, underlined. They require careful listening consideration, and meditation. And those who want to merely skim the parables will never understand what Jesus is teaching. They will not understand Jesus, and they will not understand the kingdom. It's not possible if we want to just skim and get by it and get the information and get it quickly. So now let me be clear this is not saying if you want to be Jesus' follower, you must have a massive intellect. That's not the point of parables. Parables are, the, the, these are everyday examples, okay? We, we read the parable of the sower. There's nothing in it. You don't have to even have a degree in botany or, you don't have to have any of that, okay? What's required uh, is not a great intellect, but rather am I open to mull over the parable and then accept and apply in my own life what it teaches? That's what he's after. That's what he means by here. It's not about IQ level. It's about openness to the kingdom. It's about a receptivity and a willingness to sit and listen. And this leads to actually the last point, and then we'll go to applying the word, parables reveal and reinforce the state of the heart. They reveal 
and they reinforce the state of the heart. So notice at the end of our text from today, in verses 10 to 12, when he's alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. So this, his answer is, why are you teaching in parables? Why do you keep saying all this stuff in parables? And here's Jesus' answer. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that. This is why. This is why it's in parables. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So notice the disciples are asking about parables. He's explaining why, so that I'm doing this. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. At the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, Isaiah sees the Lord and the Lord tells him, I'm going to send you out. The good news is you're my prophet. The bad news is I'm telling you now they're not going to listen. Your word is actually going to take their hearts, which are rebellious and turned against me, and it's going to harden them further. That's what's going to happen. But, Isaiah, there will be a remnant. Many of the people you would have thought would have been open to a prophet speaking to them will actually reject and be further hardened, but there will be a remnant. They will hear. They will respond. And so in both passages, in Isaiah, and as Jesus is quoting it here as to why he teaches in parables, God's sovereign word hardens and judges those who reject it, but softens and saves those who humbly receive it. Jonathan Edwards um, actually used to put it this way. The same sun softens the wax and hardens the clay. Not a different sun. What changes it is, what's the object there? Parables come, and, and hear what I'm saying, they reveal and reinforce the state of the heart. If my heart is open to Jesus and his kingdom, what does the parable do? It softens and it saves. If, like many of the Pharisees we've read in the gospel, my heart is set against Jesus and his kingdom, what does the parable do? It hardens. It reveals that my heart is hard. See, the problem that the people who are fighting against Jesus are having is not that they didn't understand what he was saying. Oh, they understood what he was saying. We're going to actually see later that the Pharisees are going to get so furious at some of the parables that they're going to want to kill him. They understand it, but what it's doing is it's revealing the state of their heart. And their heart, again, it's not about intellect. It's about their heart. Their heart is hard. And so I'm reminded, as Jesus is doing this, I, I thought about this the other day, when I took Gospels in seminary, we had a break one day in class. We all went off, you know, you get a cup of coffee, you're sitting around chatting, and we came back, and I've never forgotten this. I, I, I remember, like, no other time coming back from a break. But our prof said, okay, everybody come back here and gather. Welcome back to the most dangerous place in the world. We're going to open the Word of God, and the next hour, your heart will either be softened and drawn towards Jesus, or it will be hardened. 
and you'll be put away from them. Go ahead and open your Bible up to Mark. Whatever. Seriously, dude? <laughs> what, what kind of a way is that to bring us back? Except for it did make us all sit up. Here's the reality. That's what the Word of God does. And when Jesus teaches in parables, what's happening is he's teaching in parables. He's uncovering the surprising mystery of God's kingdom to those who will listen carefully and humbly respond. But the same parable is going to harden and judge those who refuse to listen and receive the word. Okay? Now, you know some of the parables, like the parable of the sower, we're, we're going to break this out next week, but that's what he's doing. That's what is happening with the parable. So, how do we apply this? Number one, do I see the importance of Jesus' word? Because if his word is doing what I just said, it's essential. See, what he's saying is these people are going to be hearing, but not really. They're going to be seeing, but not really. We don't want to be in that group. But here's a problem. In today's world, we are flooded with voices, images, and words. Words are coming at you and me so quickly there is no way to take them all in. And the question is, I have to curate. What am I going to listen to? What am I going to give my attention to? What am I going to fix on? And what am I going to say it's not that important? Because there is no way to process everything that is coming at us. And the fact is, most of it can be safely ignored because it's either trivial we're making big deal out of it today, and a month from now, nobody will even remember that we talked about it, or it's outright false. All of that we can easily get by. So we have to curate and choose what we hear and give our attention to each day. And we need to understand Jesus' word is not optional, it's essential. Okay? In a parable Jesus used at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I won't read the whole thing, but we've all heard this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. So see, we have, they're both the, the, the auditory waves are hitting both of them. But one trembles and receives. The other does not. And what happens to the second one who's just heard it but didn't receive it? Same storm comes and the house falls with a crash. So Jesus is saying my word's not optional. As you curate what you're listening to, <laughs> make sure my word's given pride of place. And this is essential for us because, see, the king has come. The kingdom is advancing, and we must hear his words and apply them in humble obedience. And so for every one of us, have we heard and responded to the call of the king? Okay, you can sit among God's people every single week and not really be a follower. You could quote more Bible than I can and not be a follower. Now, why do I say that? How much Bible did the Pharisees know? They were scholars. 
In fact, I've told you, these scribes, or the teachers of the law, as the NIV puts it, only one time is one scribe mentioned in a somewhat positive light in Mark's gospel. Every other time, they are the most hardened against Jesus and his message. So have we heard the summons of the king? Have we responded? I, I want to urge you, if you never have, do so now, because utter joy, full meaning, true security, now and forever, are in hearing and receiving the word of God. When you, when you scroll to the left on your phone and you get your news feed or you go to social media and you look at all that stuff, how much of that stuff's going to matter even a month from now? Virtually none of it. But see, Jesus has already told us, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will not pass away. It will live forever. So do I recognize that? Second thing, how do we go about doing this? Jesus is calling us to hear his word. And again, this is not just a call for auditory reception, but for mental understanding and for volitional embrace and submission. That, that I not just hear it, but I'm, that I'm thinking over it. And again, I don't have to have a huge intellect to do this. And that I'm embracing it with my will and saying, Lord, your word is true. I tremble. I submit to your word. Now, what this requires of you and me, it does not require huge intellect, but it does require deep meditation and reflection. It just requires it. It takes time. There is no substitute for that. Now, our culture is increasingly working to make this difficult. And there are many things I could bring up. I'm just going to bring up two real quick. Number one, it makes it difficult to hear and receive and meditate upon Jesus' word because there is constant noise and distraction. I just reread Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, and there's a great, in it, you know, a senior demon is writing to a junior demon. So as, as I read this to you, you have to realize this is being told from a demon's perspective. So our father is Satan, not God. And, you know, our land below is talking about hell. But listen to what the demon says. Music and silence, how I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father entered hell, no square inch of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces. But all has been occupied by noise. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile. Noise, which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We've already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. But I admit we're not yet loud enough or anything like it. Research is in progress. He would be very happy at how things have progressed in the last 70 or 80 years. Noise, noise, noise. And you can't think. You, you can't hear. You can't respond because there's so much noise. And think about it in our life. The constant noise and distraction of our phones, of media, the news, Everything pressing around us, everything saying constantly, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. 
And, you know, we've discovered we, we cannot multitask. We're not the sort of creatures that can multitask. It's not the way God made us. And so every time, ding, you try to go through, ding, you try to, uh, ding, your brain stops and it can't get to deep meditation. It just simply cannot. So noise has done this. And notice what the demon says there is it defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, impossible desires. In other words, it defends me from Jesus' word. Just enough noise. If I can keep it noisy, they won't have time to meditate. And over time, here's the real danger, external noise becomes internal noise. And then I can be sitting on an island in utter external silence, and what is my soul like? It's so noisy I can't hear. And if you don't believe that, try and get somewhere quiet, no, nothing to read, no media, no nothing, and just try and sit in silence. And we find out how loud our soul can be. So that's number one. Number two, we're being groomed by our culture to live in the shallows. The Shallows, there, there was a book by a guy named Nicholas Carr that actually won a lot of awards. It was called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And um, listen, the internet and modern technology have done wonderful things. I, I'm all for them. I was a computer programmer, a database administrator before I was a pastor. I'm not against technology at all. But in a fallen world, every good thing has a bad side. And wisdom is to recognize clearly what the potential dangers are and to protect myself from them. And the, the internet and our connected world encourages skimming for sound bites and factoids rather than deep plunges of meditation and reflection to learn wisdom. We reward factoids. Wisdom is not factoids. We, we reward skimming very broad but very shallow. But Jesus is telling us, hear, listen, meditate, think, probe deeply. So you can do one or you can do the other, but you cannot do both. Now, what this has done is it makes us hard for us to hear as Jesus is calling for us in his use of these parables. Now, I remind you, these things have always been there. We've just kind of ramped them up a little bit. So remember, as we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus, it's not just information, but I'm actually trying to, to apprentice under him to learn his life rhythms and to actually walk in him. We've seen over and over again in the gospel, what does Jesus keep going off and doing? Getting out in the, the, that Greek word was eremos, that wilderness, that lonely place, that place where it was quiet and away from everything else. And he's doing that so he can have quiet time for prayer and reflection and meditation on God's Word. And as we've already seen in the Gospel, you remember the very first time we're told that when he goes off by himself to be with his Father, to pray, to meditate, and to do all that, what happens? What, you remember Peter shows up and, hey, <laughs> not to interrupt, but I'm here to interrupt. Okay, we got the same exact problem, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, Jesus face there, but that's why he keeps going off because he's going to get that time. And so, as a disciple, am I following my master in this rhythm? 
Is that rhythm mine? Do I have daily, weekly uh, times for quiet, deep hearing of God's Word? Now we all, you know, there are times where I listen to the Scripture being read while I'm brushing my teeth or I'm doing whatever else, and that, that's fine and important. But do I have time where I sit down and my attention is riveted on this? Because we will not be able to hear what Jesus is saying if we don't. And so I want to urge all of us this morning, this is as essential for our soul as food, exercise, and rest are for our bodies. If I just say, I'm too busy, it's too noisy, I can't eat, what's going to happen? I'm going to get sick, right? Eating's not an option, nor is, you remember Jesus actually said this in the temptation in the wilderness. <laughs> Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what the Lord taught you by giving you manna in the wilderness. So we neglect this at our own peril. So I want to just encourage us to open up, and again, not out of a sense of legalism, but the Lord each day wants to speak his word to you and to me. And we have the option and the opportunity. I mean, and the great news is we don't have to get and travel to Jerusalem or do anything else. It's right here, and it's available to us. What a, you know, Greg mentioned earlier, I hope you got the Bible app on your phone and do that. What other time in history could we have had? The, the technology is causing all this mess I just talked about. Here's a great thing that it's doing. Everywhere I go, I've got my Bible right here with me. Encourage us. Let's use that. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table. And this table, in actuality, is a visual parable. Jesus' teaching is an auditory parable, but this is a visual parable because we're going to be reminded and see that our king gave himself for us. Our king has sacrificed himself for us. And as I said, it gives the secret of the kingdom. See, here's an unexpected thing. The king sends other people to die for him. Not in this kingdom. In this kingdom, Jesus is the king who came to die. And he gives himself. He's broken that we might be healed. He pours himself out that we might receive blessing. He takes curse, we get blessing. That's the nature of this kingdom. And every week when we come to this table, it's a parable. It's a reminder of the way reality actually is. Because see, when, when, when the world doesn't line up with the kingdom, it's not because the kingdom's upside down, it's because the world is upside down. So, I encourage you, if you are here and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, to come and receive from your King today. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, 
which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, as we come to this table, which is a parable, we are reminded how unexpected is your kingdom. Lord, this bread, which is a symbol of your body, was broken because you, who took our flesh, were broken in our place. O oh Lord, who has heard of a king that would sacrifice himself to save the people? But Lord, that is what you have done. Jesus, we give you thanks that through your broken body we have been made whole and restored. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, we give you thanks for the cup of the new covenant. Lord, how grateful we are, even as we were reminded last week that Lord, you are the one who passed between the pieces. You are the one who guaranteed the fulfillment of the covenant. And when we broke the covenant, rather than demanding our blood, you shed your own. Oh, what an unexpected king you are. Lord, how grateful we are that you have shed your blood so that our sins are forgiven, so that the covenant is sealed, so that we are brought into your kingdom, made your children and your heirs now and forevermore. Lord, all we can say is thanks be to God for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. You can stand with me. We will cry out together uh, for the Holy Spirit to take this and seal it in our hearts this week. Spirit of the living God, uh, I have tried to unpack the word you have given to us this morning. But as we have heard in this very word, we are utterly dependent upon you. Lord, you call for us to hear, but it is beyond our ability. So we cry out, Holy Spirit, you who inspired the word, you who have preserved the word, that you would illuminate that word and open it up to us. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would fill each and every one of us in this room, that you would come upon us fresh and new. I pray that you would stir up that hunger, that like a newborn babe, we would crave the Word of God. I pray that as we open the Word, that you would reveal its truths to us. I thank you that, Jesus, you said that you even revealed the kingdom to babes. Lord, it's not about us being wise. 
It's about our hearts being soft and open. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts where they are hardened by sin, massage, cleanse, purify, and change. Plant the Word of God deep in us so that we might be transformed and changed. Form us in the image of Jesus. As we go through this week, I pray, Spirit of the living God, that each and every day you would speak, you would lead, and you would guide. Open the Word. Renew our minds. Conform our wills. Lord, we pray that you would do all of this for your glory and for our good, for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.